You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's going on, man? I'm doing all right. Hope everyone had a good 4th of July weekend. It's not 4th of July anymore. The last time we were on the show, it was right before the celebration. burning in the air. Yes, indeed. There were plenty of fireworks burning in the air, including a couple I saw that were like four and five color fireworks, which are really cool. Oh, my God. Let's burn it all up. Let's burn it all up. Nice. I see what you did there. We have a great show lined up for all you 4th of July people. Well, it's not 4th of July. No, it's the 9th of July. 9th of July. We have a great show lined up. We will be talking to Grizzlies radio play-by-play broadcaster, Eric Hasseltine. Happy to have Eric on the show. We will get into the Baker Mayfield sweepstakes, which is now over. He is going to be sitting and hanging out with Sam Darnold. How wonderful. One in three in their draft class. Does that Josh Rosen of the practice squad complete the trifecta? Oh, man. Josh Allen. Could you imagine that? <laughs> All four of them. That would be great. Josh Allen's fantastic. but So we'll talk about that trade and why I believe Joe Douglas is an absolute genius after trading Sam away to the Carolina Panthers last year. We will get into the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. I don't know if he's going to stay with the Brooklyn Nets, or maybe he goes to the 76ers, or hey, maybe he'll go to Miami. I don't think he's going to the 76ers. Miami, we heard the Timberwolves, we also heard Golden State, Phoenix. We will also get into Kyrie Irving as LeBron James has come out and reached out to management, or reach out to himself, told management you could trade whatever first-round draft picks you need to trade to get Kyrie Irving in L.A. James Harden has a new contract, and he takes less. Who would have thought that? Takes less to go back to the 76ers' two-year agreement, and Dame Lillard gets one of the biggest contracts in the two years that he is going to be over there in Portland in NBA history, a record-breaking contract. Yeah, I never saw $60 million a year in any sport. Dame is getting his money, so he's happy. When you look at how much money these guys are making now in professional sports, it, it makes you sick. Could you imagine making $60 million a year? What are you going to do with $60 million? What would Dame Lillard be doing with that money? He wants to support his rapping career, which after he retires, he'll probably move forward with. He's a very good rapper, by the way, one of the better rappers. I was going to say, he might have his own record career company by the end of that contract. I, I mean, it's ridiculous on what type of money these guys are making now. Devin Booker has a new contract, too, worth about $224 million. Yep. I guess the Kardashian might be back in the picture. As we're hearing that they might be back together. I'm not surprised knowing that he just got one of the biggest record-breaking contracts in NBA history. A lot of contracts being dealt out. We will also get into the NHL as a draft has come and has gone. And the Islanders make a trade in the first round, adding another defenseman. Second pairing defense. So they had Romanoff, a guy that 
a lot of people like. And the Islanders and Lou Lamarello are absolutely happy to landing at the draft. We'll get into all the trades that happen on draft day. A couple oh, yeah. goaltenders move. We'll get into some more football conversation as well. And we'll get into this KD thing because it seems like it's a wonderful story here in New York. I love Kevin Durant. I think he's a great, fantastic player. He's, he's one of the faces of basketball. He's one of the best basketball players we've seen in a decade. When you look at the offensive game that he produces on the basketball court, there are not many guys that can mimic him or try to be like him. He's a long, lengthy player with a huge wingspan, has an amazing ability to get to the hole the way he does and shoot the three, the long ball, which he's one of the best at doing that statistically in the league. But you look at what he has done for this Brooklyn Net team ever since he's gone there. He's done nothing. Now, he took a team all the way to the semifinals. Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks, who, by the way, wins the NBA title that year. And everybody's sitting there saying, well, when they're at full strength, when James Harden comes back and when Kyrie is back, they're going to be unstoppable. It never happened. The next year, James Harden demands a trade. He gets traded to the 76ers. The Nets bring in Ben Simmons, who never plays at all. Kyrie Irving is nothing but a talker. I think Kyrie Irving is one of the more talented players in the NBA. I don't even think there's a more talented player in the NBA than Kyrie Irving. I think he's a special player. He's a great shooter. He can go to the hole at will. He can draw fouls. He can shoot free throws. He can rebound for a guy his size. He can do everything. Problem with Kyrie is he doesn't shut up. And he doesn't get himself not in trouble off the court. If it has nothing to do with the COVID-19 situations or thinking the world is flat or whatever the hell he thinks in his head, instead of keeping the geographics to himself, he thinks that he knows best. Kyrie knows best. That should be a new TV show with him and his family because it's a joke. And with KD in the mix right now and with Kyrie not getting the mega contract that he wanted, and it's a mega contract. He wanted a $246 million contract, which makes him the highest paid NBA player in NBA history. The Nets were not going to give him. He wanted to be traded. He told the Nets, trade me. So the Nets said, nobody wants you. Go find a trade and we'll trade you. He winds up finding out that nobody wants him. Nobody wants to deal with his stuff on and off the court. So he opts into the $36.5 million contract. It pissed off KD. KD didn't like how the Nets were treating Kyrie. So you know what he does? He goes to management and tells him, trade me. I don't want to be here anymore. If you're not going to pay Kyrie and I'm opting into a three-year deal and taking less money, why do I want to be here? So now the Nets are swimming around trying to figure out what they're going to do with their two superstars. They lost one of them because he wanted out. Now all three of them want out. They still have Ben Simmons there. Big whoop. Guy can't hit a free throw. Can't hit a three-point shot. Now he's a great perimeter defender. I, I think he's an elite defender. But that's all he can do. And he's getting overpaid. The Nets owe him $160 million. Now you're trying to figure out, Speedy, where KD is going. First of all, back to your uh, reality show comments. Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Ben Simmons might be the worst reality show ever made. And the Nets might be the worst Kyrie soap opera. Kyrie knows best. And the Nets might be the worst soap opera in the league, the way this is going. Because not only are these contracts hindering what the Nets could do in terms of trade, the Nets have no draft picks as it is. They don't have a draft pick that he... They own fully yeah. until 2029. Uh-huh. And Ben Simmons' contract specifically, as many of our guests have mentioned, is something that's hindering bigger trades that has been offered as a result of KD. Suns 
with a sign and trade possibility for DeAndre Ayton. Nope, can't do that because Ben Simmons is on the first contract after his rookie contract, which Ayton would be if they were to pull off a sign and trade too. Same thing with the Miami Heat and Tyler Hero. So now all of a sudden you can't deal with the two teams that Kevin Durant actually wanted to go to, which is going to lower his trade value in essence because there's no offer as of right now that's as big as what Miami and Phoenix, two good player development organizations, have brought to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, the Timberwolves had a hefty one too that obviously they turned down because it's insanely unrealistic for the Nets to ask for Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and three first round picks. That was never going to happen. Towns is one of the best big men in the league. Anthony Edwards is one Why of the best Why would he want to be traded there if Carl Anthony Towns is not there right. and Anthony Edwards? They have no chance of winning. Even with the players that they have. It makes no sense for them anyway. Towns is a fantastic young big man. He's stayed healthy throughout his career. Anthony Edwards is one of the best young shooters in the league. Rookie of the year. A guy that played very well in the playoffs this year for Minnesota. A team that wasn't supposed to go as deep in the playoffs as they did. Hanging tough the way they did against Memphis. They're going to do that and trade three first round picks when we've seen the Timberwolves just fail with that kind of experiment bringing in veteran players. When Thibodeau came in and Jimmy Butler, they don't work well with those younger players. So stay young all at once if you're Minnesota. So there's no reason for them to take that kind of trade from the Nets. It's just very unrealistic. So then there's a couple other dark horses left. We've heard the Sixers. I don't think that's happening. Portland, we know Damian Lillard wants to play with Kevin Durant. Do they have enough pieces, though, is the question to trade? Then the Raptors are another team I've heard as a potential dark horse with Siakam being the centerpiece of that trade. But you're not going to get as much from those teams as what you got from Phoenix, what you could have gotten from Miami, if you try to make this Ben Simmons trade work. So you're going to have to get a third team involved, but the more this goes on, the less the price is going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see where KD is going to go. And maybe he stays with Brooklyn. He already said that he would love to be traded wherever Kyrie goes. He wants to be traded there too. Uh It doesn't make any sense. Why don't you just stay there, play one year with Ben Simmons, and see what you have over there in Brooklyn. But they don't want to play there. And everything that I've read is that KD does not like Sean Marks. And what does that tell you about Sean Marks and Steve Nash is? It's telling you that they might not have a job at the end of this year because Sean Marks built this team. He traded away all their prospects, all their draft stock. He has learned over the years with the San Antonio Spurs is you build around the draft and you add a little player here and you add a little player there. When you watch the San Antonio Spurs in the time that they were dominant, they drafted Tony Parker. They drafted Manu Ginobili. They drafted Tim Duncan. They drafted Kawhi Leonard. These are all guys that they built their team and their organization around. They don't have that anymore. They did have guys like Karis LeVert and Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie, which they brought him in as a journeyman who really transitioned the point guard position when Allah, you know who, was coaching. This isn't the same team anymore. And it has a lot to do with Kyrie and has a lot to do with KD. And look at all the teams they want to trade with in order to get this hefty trade return for Kevin Durant. All three of those teams have done that. They've drafted and developed players as well. Especially Miami, I would say, has done it the best. Pat Riley being a fantastic executive. The Timberwolves. The the Timberwolves, too, though. Look look at all the number one picks they got. They got a nice collection of young players. And the Suns, look at all the depth that they have on that team, too. With Except for eight and really not a lot of top five picks. They've done it more with a lot of middle picks. They've gotten kind of unlucky outside of the eight. I don't know how Minnesota could even trade 
trade first round draft picks. They traded it all away after the trade in the yeah, offseason. Yeah, the Gobert trade. How are they going to trade first yeah. round draft picks? They mm-hmm. traded away four. It makes no sense for Minnesota. I don't know why the Nets thought that offer was realistic by any means possible when you're getting two great young players as it is and then all those other draft picks. Why would Minnesota take that kind of trade? I don't understand why Minnesota even let them reach out to them and have a conversation about it. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. They traded for Rudy Gobert. They believe Rudy Gobert is there quiet assassin defensively that they needed. Now you added one of the best defensive players in all of the NBA. So you should be much better at top 10 defense. Yeah, and it'll allow Towns to expand his offensive game too because he could do more on the outside, in the mid-range, could spread the court a lot better with Gobert just guarding the middle, being the best pure center in the league right now defensively and in terms of rebounding shot blocking. That'll allow Towns to be more of a four, which I think is more of his skill set as it is. His defense is alright, but it's not like something you say like Gobert Bears and his perimeter game is very good for a, a power forward of his type. So that'll allow them to make the offense even better too. And the defense is Gobert going to fix it all? No, but it's going to improve it from where it was last year, where I think it was 25th in the league. So that's going to make a big difference when it comes to a playoff identity. I will say this: I don't know why KD just doesn't sit back, talk with management, bring Kyrie into the conversation, Ben Simmons, figure this out, try to do this one more year. If it doesn't work. Then demand to trade. You finally have a healthy Ben Simmons. He's going to play this year. Now, I don't know what Ben Simmons is or what he's going to be with Kyrie and Katie, but he might be what they've been missing. They needed that defender against the the Celtics this year. They didn't have one, and that's why Jason Tatum ran all over them and shot all over them, and Jalen Brown was dominant on the perimeter. Heck, even Marcus Smart had two good offensive games against the Nets. Maybe adding a guy like Ben Simmons for a full season and having him as their deep perimeter defender – that could help them. It doesn't make any sense when why they're demanding a trade. There must be something going on behind closed doors that nobody knows on why KD wants out. Now, the team that makes a lot of sense out of all of them is Phoenix. And the reason why is if they can keep Chris Paul there and they can keep Devin Booker there, you're talking about adding a KD which Chris Paul has never played with a talented type of player like Kevin Durant. No. You got that superstar to play with your top-end point guard. It's going to give you an edge in the Western Conference. And then we're not going to be talking about the Golden State Warriors or even the Lakers if the Lakers get Kyrie. We're going to be talking about the Phoenix Suns because yeah. they're much better than they were last year. Even without DeAndre Aiden, you had a KD to that lineup. What are they going to have to give up? A lot of people say... That they're going to want either Devin Booker or Chris Paul, but I can't see the Phoenix Suns doing that. I think the offer the Suns had was more than fair. Aiton, Cam Johnson, and Mikhail Bridges, and three first-round picks, that's more than enough to get Kevin Durant and the Nets turn that down. Good luck. He might be a Brooklyn Net next year. I can't see them or any other team trading away their future or their superstars for KD, who's 33, going to be 34. He's He's an aging player that might have two more good years left. And that means they have to be championship years. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that wherever it gets traded, they're a championship competitive team. Because if they're not... You're rebuilding again after he leaves. Not only that, you're not going to get the return value from a team like Portland or a team like a Toronto that have had an interest as well. Oh, I can't believe Toronto's even interested in But again, it might come to the point where that's the settling point. If if they- KD was 30 years old, I would trade whatever it takes to get him there. But he's not. He's 33, going to be 34 years old. He's aging. He came off an Achilles injury. He's not the same player. Now, he is a fantastic player. He was on his way to win the MVP before 
before he had that injury in the midseason. I can't trust that this guy isn't going to break down in the next two years, and you're going to give away Anthony Edwards and call Anthony Towns and, and a couple of draft That's ridiculous. That's crazy. In Toronto, what they're going to have to give up? Jakob and Van Vliet, probably. It's and ridiculous. Then... And draft picks, where you're going to be rebuilding. How are you going to win without those guys? Right. With just KD there. It's really going to be Durant and Scotty Barnes, and then hopefully a defensive system that works for them. Why would the he case. go there? And I, don't, I can't see KD wanting to go there. Yeah, and, uh, He's better off staying in Brooklyn. And then Portland was the other team mentioned just because of Damian Lillard, but I don't even know if KD... There's no way they're getting him now I, with that Damian yeah, Lillard. I don't even know if KD said he wanted to play there, though, either. Damian Lillard just expressed interest in that. And then the only one that you said was Golden State, so... Speaking of contract, Damian Lillard gets a world of money. On Friday, we hear that the Portland Trailblazers give Dame Dash, and I say Dame Dash because he dashes to the hole, two years, $120 million contract, which makes him the highest paid NBA player in history. $60 million a year. Dame did not have a good season last year. wasn't 100%. There was... A lot of stuff going on. And that team was fighting injury throughout the season. They traded C.J. McCollum at the trade deadline. They weren't the same team. But to give Dame that kind of money, it only tells you one thing. He's there to stay. He's going to be there for the rest of his career. They want to still build the team around him and see what they can do in the next few years to try to win a championship before he's done and goes on to his rapping career. And also, Devin Booker gets a $224 million contract, which makes him one of the highest paid players in the NBA. We all heard Kendall Kardashian and him break up, and then all of a sudden the new contract comes out, and now they're hanging out again. They've been seen in so many different places. It's just so funny how these Kardashians, they work. When it comes to money, and it comes to dipping and dodging, they're great at it. If they want to bob for apples, they're bobbing right now. (laughs) Cactus apples. (laughs) Speedy doesn't understand what I'm talking about, but you guys all know what I'm talking about. That's why I bring out the geography joke. I don't attack anybody trying to make their money. If that team is willing to give you the money, then you might as well take it. I can't attack the Portland Trailblazers for giving Dame the money that they gave him. I can't attack the Phoenix Suns for giving Devin Booker the money that he wanted. It shows me the NBA, eventually, we're going to see a $300 million player with the new CBA rules. And there's another player that got a huge contract, NBA breaking contract. You know what I'm talking about, right, Speedy? Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic, the MVP back-to-back years. Five years, 270. Nikola Jokic is one of the best players in the NBA, second-round draft pick, a find by the Nuggets. He has become one of the more talented big men we've seen in this industry in such a long time. Fantastic player to watch, rebounder, assist guy, a guy that can score on all different levels. He's just a fun player, and he's a great defender as well. So, Nicole Jokic gets a record-breaking contract as well, worth about $270 million. They're seeing a lot of these NBA players making all the money that they're making and becoming very, very rich men. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to Grizzlies radio play-by-play broadcaster Eric Castletime here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, we finally get him on. We haven't spoken to him in almost two years. Why not? He's right now a play-by-play guy for one of the best teams in the NBA. We are now talking to the Grizzlies. Radio play-by-play 
broadcaster, Eric Castle time. Mr. Eric, what is going on, my friend? What's going on, man? How are you? We are good, man. We haven't spoken to you in a while. I know. I thought I did something to piss you off. No. What I you mean, mean, like, long-winded, <laughs> verbatim radio guy gets bounced from show. Get out of here. Headline. Hey, you know what wouldn't be a headline? My Oakland A's spend more than $5 on a player. <laughs> Even when they spend Holy $5 crap. on a player, they usually are either in first or second place at this time. They're having a big yeah, year. It's funny when you have a great third baseman and first baseman, and they're now playing in other places, and although <laughs> Matt Chapman is not hitting like Matt Olson is, it's still better than what the A's have right now it's crazy yeah but you want to know something this is an organization that believes in the money ball situation and i i believe they'll figure it out this is a smart organization and they have a bunch of really smart people running the organization on true. the top end this as it's true but they play in a terrible stadium so they were well, that's hard true time too. getting fans but yeah. when they go to vegas i'm looking forward to that right well you know why the las vegas raiders left over there so i know i had season tickets to both <laughs> years ago i always wanted to go and check out an oakland raiders game i never got a chance to do that curtis Martin, I've gone to a couple of events with him. He does a lot of concussion events here on Long Island in New York. Sure. And he told me his favorite place to play was Oakland because of the fans, how crazy they were, and how oh. loud it was. He told me when you went into the locker rooms, you felt the stadium shake. That's what he said. It's he nuts. Felt- I covered them for three years, and I was there when Tony Siragusa planted Rich Gannon at the 40-yard line and ended that AFC title game, and it mm-hmm. went deathly silent. But covering those games, you could go down on the field for the last two minutes, and there were times I was frightful for my life because these people are not normal (laughs) and they will yell and throw things at abnormally large humans that play football (laughs) and want to fight them and I'm like this dude is six foot four 375 pounds and will break you in two and they're calling his mother names I didn't even know existed (laughs) and I would just be especially like a Chiefs game or a Broncos game you hear things I was in my late 20s early 30s and I'm going this is making me uncomfortable like this is crazy and I played sports and heard some trash all my life but this was next level stuff so it was a great environment but it's just unfortunate the stadium is antiquated and outdated we went one year the first year we ever played golden state in the playoffs we actually finished the season on the road in san francisco our second to last game our last road game and so four of us went to a baseball game to see the a's play and i kind of warned the guys i said hey we're going to take bart over that's their rapid (laughs) transit just be prepared this is not going to be like going to new bush stadium we had a cardinals fan or the Brave Stadium when it was Turner Field. I said, this is going to be a little less than what you guys expect. They were all mad at me. They're like, you didn't even do this justice. This is absolutely the worst place we've ever been. I can't believe a baseball team plays here. It's a concrete just jail, it looks like. And there's one place to buy beer that we can find. And I was like, well, you know, I, I tried to tell you. Like, yeah, you you didn't do it justice. See, the, but it might the be team a, was good. It might be a concrete jail, but at least they don't have a jail in their stadium like the Eagles do. This is true. The kangaroo court, hey, that made them some money. That was pretty brilliant. What's when, going on, fellas? How you been? We're good. Obviously, you're really good with your Grizzlies. As everybody knows, we are yeah. talking to Grizzlies radio play-by-play broadcaster, Eric Castletime. He's been a friend of the show, and we haven't spoken to him for a while. So why don't we get into your Grizzlies? This is a team that surprised a lot of people. They were the second seed in the Western Conference. Sure. They were a dominant team. We all know how good John Morant was, but this year we saw the growth of who he became as a player and really the dominant point guard. I think the most dominant point guard in the NBA. What were your thoughts of the growth of what you seen as a rookie with John Morant and going into this year where he became a dominant force. You could see it early on and I think you started to see it in the playoff series the previous year against Utah. That experience really helped him grow into a more confident player and then 
been a move that they took a lot of hits for and a lot of flack for by trading Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams and then moving draft picks and moving up to take Zaire Williams. A lot of people thought they took a step back with that, but the reason was Ja would defer a little bit to Jonas early in a game because Jonas is a guy that needs early touches to get his rhythm. And I get that. And Jonas is a terrific big man. And he was a great asset to the Grizzlies to get you a double-double. But you needed Ja Morant to become the leader of the team. And so that was the move they had to make. So when that happened, he took that to heart. A lot of comments were made during the year. One of the comments that he became kind of known for was saying, welcome to the dark. What he was meaning was, what you don't see is what I do in the dark. I go work and I, I try to hone my craft. And he is a tireless worker. I've, over my career, believed a couple of things. You can have a lot of these guys in the NBA could all be star players. They're just that good. But what separates superstars from guys that are multiple-time All-Stars, legendary, Hall of Fame-type players is a desire to absolutely never stop working to be the best. And Ja has that. And we saw that from day one. And so that was what was encouraging. They've never had a player like that here. We've had good teams, great makeups, Marcus Gasol, Mike Conley, great guy, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, a great team that made a seven-year playoff run, but never had a galvanizing superstar. And Ja became that. And so when everybody in the desert and all the other sports betting places had the Grizzlies finishing 11th, maybe 12th, maybe 10th if they were lucky with 40 wins, 41 wins. I was like, you're underselling this group. They're going to be good. They're going to get a healthy Jaron Jackson. Jaws another year older. He'll have the control. And I really liked what I saw out of Desmond Bain in his rookie mm-hmm. year and the move to send Grayson Allen to Milwaukee to free up those minutes for him. They realized in that series with Utah that they needed to condense the roster. The Jazz basically played them with eight regular rotation guys. And when it came down to crunch moments where the Grizzlies were trying to get 11, 12 guys minutes. And that was Taylor Jenkins, their head coach, first real go in a playoff series. You could see the difference. And so they said, all right, we're going to condense this roster. The bottom end guys are going to be guys. If we get hurt, we know we can trust, but we're not going to worry about getting them minutes. And so by doing that, it instilled the confidence in the group that they, they believed in that group. So jaw took the reins with that. And after a slow start and on the night where they fell to nine and 10 in their first 19 games, John Moran actually got hurt, which the team, then went on this crazy win streak, Jaws watching. But this is the mark to me of a, of a really good locker room teammate and star player. He sat on the sideline and kind of just really soaked up everything that changed on that night. They got better defensively. They won 11 of their next 12. They got themselves back into the playoff picture. And when Morant came back, won the first game barely, lost the second game to Oklahoma City, who they had already beaten by 73. It was oh, yeah. kind of like, hey, are you better without him, which is just an insane notion. And then he really hit the ground running and became that superstar player you guys talk about. Unfortunately, at the end of the year, when he kind of got dinged up, he kind of fell out of the MVP race because the team knew they had the two seed locked up. With Draymond Green banged up, Steph Curry out with that injury, they didn't think the Warriors really had much chance of catching them. So when they knew they had two locked up, they're like, we need 12 to be healthy when the playoffs start, so we're not going to let them go. We're going to get Tyus Jones those minutes. We're very confident in his abilities. And they ran the last 21, 22 games without him, and they had a remarkable Remarkable record without John ja Moran. And he unfairly, I think, took some criticism, but he takes all that in and then puts it into his memory banks and uses that as his motivation. And that's what I respect about the man. He knows that as good as he is right now, he can still get better. And there's still aspects of his game that if he improves, then he's going to be virtually unstoppable. 
So you mentioned the Warriors. They had that very chippy playoff series, all that controversy, all those flagrant fouls. Did you get to call any of those games? Oh, I called all of them. Nice. So it's great. TV guys get all the glory, but after the first round of the playoffs, they don't get to go anymore. So I was there. I think I said on the air in game two when Dylan Brooks absolutely destroyed Gary Payton the second, which was tough to watch because Gary has worked very, very hard to make an NBA career. And I'm happy that he got a nice contract with the Blazers in the offseason because that injury could have really set him back. And Dylan's a competitor and I got a lot of respect for Dylan Brooks. And he admittedly said, I made a mistake. I thought I could make a play. I really didn't have a good angle. I was in the heat of the moment. I wasn't intentionally trying to hurt the man, but the angle I came left me no choice to, and I know better. I respected that. And he took it. He got in front of the media before game four, when he was going to come back and he heard it when he got into the games, but it was definitely chippy. It was chippy in game one where Draymond Green got thrown out. And I grew up a Warriors season ticket holder. I got a lot of friends still in that area. That's where I grew up. So I talked to my friends out there all the time and Steve Kerr said Dylan Brooks broke the code. And then of course, all you got to do is give Memphis fans a reason to think people are being disrespectful to them. And they've got the biggest chip on their shoulder in the NBA. So they're going to pipe back. So they're showing the pictures of Draymond Green pulling Brandon Clark down. Is that the code? What's the code? And it just got into it, which was fun because it made it intense. And in the end, playoff experience won out. I felt like the Grizzlies in game one had a chance to win it. Clay Thompson made a great defensive play. If you go back to that final shot that I didn't think got enough credit. Ja missed the layup, but he missed because Thompson got to the spot not to take a charge, but to wall off the angle. And so Ja going in with his left hand no longer had that diagonal angle. He kind of got forced to the baseline. That's a tough shot to hit. If Thompson doesn't get there, Morant makes that layup. The Grizzlies win game one. We're going seven games and it's going to be an intense atmosphere in Memphis, which we had seen was favoring the Grizzlies. And then game four, when Brooks came back, I thought they really let one slip away there. But that was a fun atmosphere to be in. The loss wasn't fun because you never like to lose. But with an eight-point lead and then the Warriors hit a three, Grizzlies take a bad shot, they hit a two, you dribbled off your foot, they hit another two, and it's a one-point game, and now it's intense, and everybody's rocking and rolling. And I was absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. I would have much rather come out on the high side of that because I think had that happened, the Grizzlies would have been able to hopefully get John Morant back and and compete with Dallas for the Western Conference title. But as Mr. Miyagi once said in Karate Kid, you got to walk before you run. That's nature's rule, not ours. That's the way it goes. And so that's a great lesson for that young team to get to that level, to lose to the eventual champions, to fight with them, to earn their respect. There's going to be a lot of trash talking and all the stuff about Klay Thompson and Jaron Jackson after the end of it. But that's today's NBA. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, take your pick. Those guys are chirping at each other. That's the way they do it now. And that's how people communicate now. And so I didn't have a big problem with that either. In fact, I want that fire back. I want the NBA to get more of these rivalries back with Minnesota. All these guys play together in the grassroots leagues when they're kids. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jordan Poole were high school roommates. They used to break into the gym together at La Lumiere Academy in Indiana. And they and he was telling that story. So they're texting each other back and forth. But I want when they step on the court, mm-hmm. I want them they to want to fight. Yeah. I want them to borderline want to throw hands and swing at each other if they're that angry. I, but I want it to translate into good basketball, too. I don't want to see the bad boy Pistons with my guy Ricky Mahorn clotheslining people anymore. Because as much as I love Rick, man, that stuff, you can't do that anymore with these guys making this kind of money. We laugh about that, but it's just a different game in that aspect. But I, I want to see that intensity, not necessarily with the level of physicality where guys can get hurt, but where guys don't want to be their best friend. I don't want to be your friend for 48 minutes. We can talk the next day after the game. In fact, I don't want to be your friend for that 24 <laughs> hours, day 
of the game, after the game. It's different with announcers. I can be friends with those guys. But when I was a player, I didn't want to be friends with my friends when we were competing against them. Mm. I'm talking about a very low level of college lacrosse or baseball <laughs> on those levels. But that's just how I was raised. The guy on the other side of the court, the net, the field, the line, that's not your buddy when you're playing. That's not your friend anymore. That's your opponent, and you're out there to win. If we didn't, we weren't out there to win, we wouldn't keep score. We are talking to Grizzlies radio play-by-play broadcaster Eric Hasseltine. And by the way, we had Seth Part now on the show on Tuesday, and I said the same thing. I don't like the game for what it is. It's really transitioned into this three-point game, offensive game. You put a pinky on somebody, it's going to be a flagrant. It's going to be a technical foul. I don't like the game. I like it when it was the 90s where the Bulls, the Pistons, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Houston Rockets, all these guys hated each other. They got on the court and they made sure that they put up or shut up. And it's just not the game anymore. These guys are like their best men in their weddings, their kids, godfathers. It's not what it used to be. I think the game has absolutely changed and I think it needs to get better. You got the Curry and Rivers family tree, right? Seth Curry is (laughs) married to Doc Rivers' daughter. Ridiculous. The kid from Louisville that plays for the Warriors is married to Steph Curry's sister. Yes, Steph Curry's sister. So you got all these guys that do this. I get that. I want that intensity, but I want the open flow that we had in the mid 80s, mm-hmm. not the let's throw it into Patrick Ewing and have him hold it for 20 seconds. I agree with you. Slow down 79, 78. Knicks beat the Heat on the Allen Houston yes. running jumper. I want that to be the end of the third quarter score. So there's a balance <laughs> with it. So I'm with you on all that, but I want the intensity again. I don't I want to be for you. buddies with people. I've argued this throughout the country. People have attacked me on Twitter, and I'm not on Instagram. Thank God. I have an Instagram. Yeah. Somebody got a hold yeah. of my Instagram. I don't go on Instagram. I have a Facebook only because of the network. I am a Twitter guy. Whenever I do write something, it's Twitter and that's it. I've spoken about Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is a fantastic player. He's a great player. One of the great players of our era. I think Steph Curry is very overrated. And the reason why I think he's very overrated, it's not because he's not the greatest shooter we've ever seen because he is. But I think his all-around game, you can't compare him to the Isaiah Thomases of the world or the Magic Johnsons of the world or even the John Stocktons of the world because they were a different type of breed of point guard. I think the game has transitioned into these shooting guards that turn into point guards because they want these guys to shoot threes and chuck threes. Do you like the way the game has transitioned into, or you just think it's just a little overboard offensively? What I don't like, and as someone who has coached youth basketball and still run basketball camps here, and I've always said, I'm not coaching super high-level kids, but I want my players at the end of the year to get better, and I would preach to them in practice, and I did this with any rec league or whatever you play in. If you can get a layup, take the two points. Mm-hmm. And these guys now run to the three-point line and it spills over to kids' games. And it's funny, like, I remember playing pickup basketball with my friends and it was at a school that had a church gym and so they let us play at noon and the kids would get half the court. They no longer care if you can dunk. They want everybody to shoot threes. They're like, hey, shoot a three, shoot a three. Like before, they're like, you'd always get asked, could you dunk? And I'm like, yeah, if you lower the rim two feet or you give me a donut <laughs> and a cup of coffee, I can dunk. Absolutely, I'm fantastic at that. They'll tell you I'm legendary at the local Dunkin'. But yeah, I don't mind it, but I don't like the way it gets manipulated. What I didn't like was a lot of the foul calling, the drop the ball below your waist, so when a guy reaches, you rip up through, so we're shooting free throws all the time. And I don't like the notion that a 15-foot jumper by analytics is a bad shot. If you can't make a 15-foot jumper and you're in the NBA, you need to go get that job at the bank your mama wanted to get you when you were born. You're, you're not, you don't belong in the league. When you were born, they, your mom didn't go, hey, he's going to play in the NBA. She goes, boy, I hope he's a banker or a lawyer or a doctor. If you can't make a 15-foot 
foot jumper, that's what you need to go do. And if you don't get up for competition, I say that same thing. But I think Steph Curry is sensational in this. The reason I would disagree a little bit, I see what you're saying. He doesn't have to run the offenses like Stockton did with the pick and roll with Malone or the way Magic opened that free-flowing game and changed basketball forever with that, by the way. But Steph did as well. And I've seen him be incredibly unselfish, which I like. But his dribble routine before every game is pretty legendary. And his ball handling skills, I think, go unappreciated because of his shooting ability. Now, I still think Kyrie Irving has the best handle in the NBA. Mm -hmm. John Morant is coming close, but Steph Curry's right there with him. These guys could go through freeway traffic and not lose the ball, and it's crazy. And I just think that Steph is relied upon to do so much more than that because of the system than be a pure point guard. And you're right. The days of the pure point guard are over. We Mm -hmm. have one in Memphis that we expect John Morant this year with healthy to go 27 and 8 instead of 20 and 12. The days of a point guard getting a thousand assists are over because they score too much. They're relied upon to score too much because they tend to be the best athletes. Now, where that starts is those grassroots basketball things. The best players on those teams have the ball in their hands. And it doesn't matter if they're 14 years old and six foot one or they're five foot seven. If they can handle, they can handle. And the coaches don't care anymore. It's that positionless basketball. I think the shame of it is there's still centers that are talented enough to take over games, to get on the low block and be unstoppable. But now your centers are stepping out to the three-point line. But if you think about it this way, go look at Bill Russell's vital signs, his stats. He was 6'10", 220. That's a three. That's mm-hmm. not a guy that's going to grab 37 rebounds and the game changed, <laughs> but he was awesome. And I remember one of the highlights of my career was getting to host a symposium for a select few season ticket holders here. And Bill Russell was speaking. He had written a book and i had always heard this guy was a little cantankerous with the media. So I was probably as nervous as you could be. And I was a kid, like maybe 33 years old. And I was like, Mr. Russell, my father was a great <laughs> fan of yours. And I was just shaking and he just puts this massive hand on my back. He goes, kid, relax. I'm just a guy that played basketball. And I was like, yeah, but but you were pretty good. And we kind of talked and he was really, really nice. And the question came up and I'll never forget this. They said, you know, you never averaged 20 points a game in your career. And he never shot above 50%. Someone said, why were you not more of an offensive factor? He said, because red coach Auerbach never wanted me to play on the offensive end. He said, you rebound, you defend. We'll take care of the rest with Havlicek and Kuzi and these other guys that can score Sam Jones and whoever those Celtic legends were that were around him. He said, if I wanted to score 25 a night, I could have, but I was a team player. And that's what made me respect that so much more. So I think if you put Steph Curry in a situation where you said, hey, we want you to shoot the occasional three, but our offense is predicated on running and getting the ball into this. I think he would have been terrific in that role. Uh, He just happened to figure out he's the best shooter in the game. Yeah, well, what really pissed me off about Steph Curry is when they won the championship that game, even when the game was over, he was chucking up threes the last two minutes of the game. They kept him on. I think Steph Curry, he wants to break every single scoring record. He wants to be the best legendary shooter of our era of all time. And I think he's got more to prove with that. It's really just a show-off game when you watch the Golden State Warriors with Draymond Green's big mouth, with Klay Thompson after games attacking people, and then Steph Curry doing his stupid shimmy every time he hits a three-point shot. These guys, they're fantastic. They're some of the great threesomes we've ever seen in the game of basketball. But you never saw Michael Jordan doing a shimmy, even though Dennis Rodman was the crazy person. You never see Dennis Rodman after the game talk about how stupid the other guy is. If you ever saw him off the court, you'd punch him in the face. Dennis Rodman was crazy. You never heard him say that. And Scottie Pippen was a quiet guy that really barely ever said anything.
it changed. I think it was Gary Payton that really kind of brought that evolution yeah. of the trash talk into the game. And I'm with you because I always said you'd do it that way. The worst you ever heard Michael Jordan say was, Bill Lane Beer, he is not going up to block my shot. He's going up to foul me because he ain't going to block my shot. We're like, yeah, that's true. We, we see the point. But I will tell you this, back in the day, I, I do have a friend named Dwight Boyd who played for the University of Memphis. He had a cup of coffee in the NBA with San Antonio. And in a preseason game with the Spurs, he had to guard Larry Bird. And Larry Bird walks right up to him and notoriously was a tremendous trash talker. I know. Yep. And Larry Bird just bowed down so no one else heard him. And he goes, rookie, I don't have a blanking clue why they put you on me to guard me, but you're in for a long blanking <laughs> night. And Dwight, to this day, still laughs about it. And I go, and what do you do? He goes, let me up for 30 in about 27 minutes. <laughs> and I said, and what happened? He goes, every time he made a shot, he goes, told you. Every time he made a shot, he goes, told you, told you. I told you it's going to be a long night. And so I get it. But the social media thing, that's where it goes too far sometimes. I mean, I can't say anything about it because I love our guys and our guys talk and we've gotten a little reputation in Memphis with guys that do it. There was an incident with LeBron this year with our team where Desmond Bain and LeBron kind of bumped shoulders. That's two big dudes. Desmond Bain is built like a middle linebacker, strong safety that's going to annihilate a tight end coming over the middle, but he's a great shooter and they talk to each other a lot more than the other team from what I see. Now, in the end of the game, John Morant has said to somebody, if you don't know who I am, you better call somebody and like did the phone thing. I think when he blocked Kyrie Irving's shot on a game winner against the Nets. But I think our guys get labeled as those young, brash punks. And so other teams start talking. When I've seen our team, a lot of times we're talking to each other. They're talking to each other and talking about like firing themselves up. And I get it, but I'm with you. I like, show me with your play. Mm -hmm. Don't show me with your mouth. Like making a three when you're up 17 and acting like you just won the NBA title. That grates on me a little bit too. But overall, I think the game's in a very good place. I think it's as skilled as it's been. Mm -hmm. I think the message became clear that the European players were coming over with better skill sets, better polished games on multi-facets, whereas the NBA game was, we're just going to give it to one guy and play iso ball and everybody else has to stand around. And so now you've got guys that contribute. Look, John Morant was good in the Timberwolves series, there's no doubt. The Memphis Grizzlies don't advance the second round without Brandon Clark. A lot of your listeners may not even know who Brandon Clark is unless they're <laughs> hardcore NBA fans. Solid player, 11, 12 points a game, six, seven rebounds, but he was sensational on the offensive glass. And that's where I think the game's gotten better. The depth of teams now has finally caught up to after expansion and going to 30 teams. Mm. And now they're talking about doing it again. I'm like, you could set this back and have guys out there that just should be either at the end of the bench or playing somewhere else. And that's just the nature of the NBA. There's a very fine line. And so I love it, but I do think at times this whole check me out, get me on Instagram. How many likes am I going to oh, get? Oh, the TikTok I thing talk trash to this guy. Yeah, the TikTok thing is, oh my gosh. Tell Jerry Moncrete, stop sending his private things to his Snapchat, too. That guy <laughs> well, is out of yeah, his mind, man. I'm going to leave that one to you because I think Draymond us. Green, if I said a word to him, I'd just punch me. I have no desire whatsoever to get hit by a six foot seven inch, 235 pound athlete. Listen, Maybe that's how some people find a good time on a Friday night, but I've got other options. Just I'm five congregate ten. the city of Memphis against Draymond Green. I'm five ten. <laughs> 230 pounds, so. <laughs> you want him to go Tanner Boyle on the city of Memphis and fight the entire city? Oh, yeah. You're pretty tough here, man. Yeah, I know. You, I, exactly why I'm right. saying that. the city of Memphis, uh-huh. you're not making it. I know. That's why, exactly why I say that. NBA fans across the country would love to see Draymond Green get taken out by a city. Yeah. Well, Matt Barnes, the funny thing is, Matt, Matt was legendary mm-hmm. for running his mouth. And at one point with the Clippers, when there was that rivalry between the two teams, kicked a trash mm-hmm. can. And then the Grizzlies acquired him. And Matt Barnes,
Barnes went from super villain to super loved because <laughs> he was tough, like Zach Randolph and Tony Allen. And his okay. press conference, he goes, I just want to add one more thing. I want to apologize to the trash can that I injured years ago <laughs> here in this building. And we all fell in love with him because of it. Well, I love Zebo. I'll never forget Zach Randolph. I have a lot of respect awesome for him. Guy. Yes, yep. very nice guy. He retired. I met him recently. I think he went to the Grizzlies Hall of Fame. He was the first number we retired. Instead of putting a jersey up because of the music ties, they put a platinum record up with his number up on oh, the wow. wall. And That's cool. Uh, those four guys, Tony Allen, Mike Conley, Mark Gasol, those three will be up there with Zach, and they'll probably be a statue. Tony was going to go next, and then obviously some things happen. They're going to get that back in order. Mark's now retired, so Mark will be the third, and then Mike, once he retires. Those four guys changed this franchise for the better, and now... I love the fact that our young guys respect that. And when they see those guys at a game, they go pay respects to them for making Memphis not a doormat, a respectable NBA franchise. And still to this day, this is why I don't love that social media world. You get people, you work for a poverty franchise and you're trash. I'm like, dude, we got the second best record in the league. What are you talking about? Like (laughs) bong hits are great in the evening or in the morning, but 17 of them before breakfast to make you this much of an idiot is probably not the best way to go through life, my friend. We are talking to Grizzlies Radio play-by play broadcaster Eric Hasseltine. Do you have any good stories about Lorenzen Wright? Uh, oh, man. Do you you know just gave any... me goosebumps. Yeah. You have any stories that you know about Lorenzen Wright? Yeah, I've been here since the team moved here. So, Ren was one of our best players in the early going. It really was a tragedy. Every time I see the story, it hurts me. He and I would do interviews. My favorite memory with Ren, one of the best stories I could have, this type of man he was. I ran into him at a local gym here, and I hadn't seen him. He had since gone on, played in Sacramento, played in Cleveland, and I feel this giant hand on my back and I'm just in the gym and it's Lorenz and Wright. And the next thing I know, this seven foot guy is giving me a hug like we're long lost brothers. And we had become friends and just sharing stories about that. There's no one memory except for the time that I finally asked him. I said, Ren, do you ever wear an outfit twice? And he goes, well, no. And I said, Lorenzen, these are not cheap pieces of clothes. He goes, I know. I go, what do you do with them? He goes, well, I give them to my friends, right? Donate them to needy kids that are tall because there's a lot of tall young basketball players that probably aren't going to get to the NBA. I said, well, that's good. And he said, yeah, I, I just tried to do that. I said, well, all right, that's wonderful. And that makes you an even better person. He goes, yeah, now then my friends that are on the payroll, those mooches, they can go get their own stuff though. And so I just laugh about it. He was a wonderful man. It's a tragic story. Yeah. It's heartbreaking for the kids. I've worked with Elliot Perry for 13 years and Elliot's as good a guy as there is. Lorenzen was like his little brother. You mentioned that name to him, and those are one of the few times I ever see Elliot Perry really, truly get choked up. Lorenzen was a favorite son of the city. I have a ton of respect for him. He had a restaurant here. They weren't the best with their money, but not every NBA player is. I'm not going to hold that against him. He loved his kids. He was great for the city. He was as genuine a guy that I had met early in my career. I felt like I could ask him honest questions as a broadcaster. And when you're in your early 30s and trying to make your way, that's invaluable. And so we struck up a friendship and just little things that you laugh about that like hey I was at this party and my buddy had a girl pop out of the cake my wife didn't think it was so funny when she was there that I was like why would you bring your wife to that party dude he goes because she wasn't letting me go alone and I said all right well I get it just things like that those stories he was a great dude his family had tragedy his father running a basketball center got shot by a disgruntled mm-hmm. player and ended up in a wheelchair Mr. Lou is what we call him Lou Wright and coach Lou was a great guy too so it's tough, but there's a lot. That was a hard day for every 
everybody when we found out there was a lot of people around here that believed that eventually the truth would come out and, yep. and hopefully it did. And so we now can kind of rest our heads a little easier and we miss our friend and we miss our teammate. The guys that played with them miss their teammates and their brother and Memphis misses one of their favorite sons for sure. I followed the story and the tragedy, it's disgusting what happened and the people that were involved, including his wife, deserve to be where they are right now. Yeah. So it's just disgusting. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. We really appreciate you joining us. You're a friend of the show. We respect you more than anybody and one of the more familiar play-by-play guys we've interviewed and we've interviewed a ton of them. You really stand out as one of the best. So we really appreciate you. I appreciate you. it. Hit me up around when we get through training camp. Absolutely. I'll give you a little preview of what we look like. I'd love to talk about the upcoming season and I love being on your guys' show. You guys are always keeping it real and we can talk about other things too. We can talk about football out here. Well, this, we're not talking not about my underwear. For, yeah, there's not a real passion for college football in the South. <laughs> Nobody down here takes it seriously. Let me tell you. It's been a great time to be with you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thank so you. much, Eric. We really appreciate right, you. Fellas. Eric! Hasseltine. If you guys don't follow him on social media, if you have not heard him do a play-by-play, well, then you're missing something special. This guy is as fun to listen to as anybody in the industry. He's like another Iron Eagle in my eyes. A guy that I've respected ever since he's come on the show. He's been a fan of our show. Happy to have him on. We'll definitely get him on again. Speedy, he was fantastic. Oh, he was fantastic. Brilliant broadcaster. Great stories throughout, too, between Lorenz and Wright, what he was saying about Bill Russell. There are a lot of great stories and great analysis of his Grizzlies, for sure. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into MLB conversation. As the New York Mets getting healthy, not winning, but getting healthy. Only about two games in front of the Braves. It's not time to jump off a plank yet, guys. Because Jacob DeGrom is back, and he's pitching good. So when he comes back, that rotation might be at full strength, and maybe... We'll see that rotation we expected to see before the season started with Bassett, DeGrom, and Scherzer. Mets need to figure out how they can wake up their bats as Pete Alonso has been a little bit of a slump. When we come back, we'll get into the Mets and the hot, the red hot New York Yankees here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Pete. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. I listen to Mets fans all over the world complaining on Twitter, complaining on social media that this team is falling apart. And this has always happened in the month of June. And I don't know why Mets fans believe that the Mets are falling apart. Right now, they're 20 games over 500. Their win percentage is at 619. I know they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. They got Max Scherzer back. And you have Jacob DeGrom lurking on his way back. And what I mean by lurking, he's been dominant in AAA. So you're finally going to get your three top-end pitchers back in this rotation where you're going to be at full force for the rest of the season after the All-Star break. Why is it that Met fans are jumping off a plank? Why? Because they're two and a half games in front of the Atlanta Braves? We knew the Atlanta Braves were a lot better than they were in the beginning of the season. Everybody and their mother knew that this team was going to compete all the way to the end of the season. They're not even at full strength yet. And their pitching rotation finally woke up after the first month and a half where they were the worst rotation in baseball. And now their lineup has been dominant. Swanson's been unbelievable. Acuna's been where we expected. This team has been as good as any team in the last past month. So we knew that they were going to compete with the New York Mets all the way to the end. But Mets fans are worried that this team is going to take over first place and the Mets are not going to catch them. This is not the same New York Mets team. Relax. 
If you think Steve Cohen isn't going to clean up that bullpen before the trade deadline, you're sadly mistaken. If Steve Cohen and this management believes that this team is a competitive team for the playoffs and is going to compete for a World Series, they're going to do anything they possibly can that this team could win. Take away the Astros sweep. They had the two two-game series sweeps. Every other series, they've won two out of three. It just seems like they've struggled more because of the way they've played. Against Cincinnati, they were all close games. Against the Rangers, there were a couple close games. Beyond the Astros just destroying them the way they did, that's been really it in terms of this massive downfall. The Braves are just hot right now, like the Mets were at the beginning of the season. So they're not going to keep up that pace forever. The Mets staying that hot and the Braves aren't going to keep up that pace after the all-star break either so you have to believe it to some extent could they still win the division yeah but the Mets are not going to fall apart so badly where they're going to miss out on a playoff spot like they did last year that kind of collapse they had last year and the Padres had one that was very similar is something that doesn't happen every year the Mets did it in 07 okay that's understandable there were a couple other teams Detroit did it in 06 even though they made the World Series that year they actually collapsed the division lead those kinds of things are rare so for Mets fans to believe that this is going to be the same deja vu thing as last year I don't really believe that they're a much more well-rounded team they're a much more deeper team they're in a hitting slump right now collectively as a team they're not scoring a lot of runs fine but that was bound to happen at some point you have a lot of overperformers. Overperformers are overperformers for a reason they're not all su- superstar players and not there's not nine Pete Alonzos in that lineup. Those guys are bound to hit a little bit of a slump eventually, and they just happen to be all at once. And maybe they all get back hot all at once. Maybe the All-Star break helps them. Stop overreacting right now. Just because the Braves are playing hot right now, and they've been the best team in baseball the last two months outside of the Yankees. I think with the Mets, they need another power bat in the middle of the lineup. They need to protect Pete Alonzo. They haven't done a very good job with that. Lindor has not been the guy that everybody expected him to be. They paid him a lot of money, $324 million a year and a half ago. Last year, he had an offseason. This year, he started off red hot, and he's just not the same player that he was in Cleveland. We expected this. The Cleveland Indians division is not what you call an outbreak of talent in that division. Kansas City won a World Series when he was there. Yeah, he, they were good at the start. Then it was. Then it shifted over to the Twins, kind of. And now it shifted over to what's supposed to be the White Sox, but even they're bad this year. American League Central is not a good division. So going to the National League East, which is one of the more talented divisions it's always been, we knew that he was going to have a problem figuring things out in the National League, being that he was in the American League his whole career. So I don't know what's going on with uh, Francisco Lindor. Hopefully he figures it out because we were talking about him making the All-Star team being a starter as the shortstop. Now he's he's not even going to make the All-Star team. Pete Alonso's having a great year. He's in a slump right now. And when you're not protecting him, it makes other pitchers know that we pitch around him, we're going to be able to beat this team. And that's what's going on right now. That's why Cincinnati won a game. The Marlins is beating them. They don't have anybody protecting him. So they might need to reach out to the Pittsburgh Pirates that are not a good team this year and, and try to get one of their big bats in that lineup. Kansas City or, or Oakland that have players that, that might fit in this lineup that can help the Mets out moving forward in the second half of the season. So I don't know what the Mets fans are so worried about, but I think the Mets fans need to look at the big picture here. Before the All-Star break, they're at 52-32. and 32. They're 20 games over 500. If they win eight more games before the All-Star break, they could be at 60 wins. And they could go on a streak. We've seen it. They're not the Yankees. But who is? I don't even know if the Yankees are human. They're a machine. I know Mets fans are so upset that finally the Mets are having a good year and the Yankees are outshining them. Who cares? Because in the long run, both teams can make the playoffs and both could be fighting for a World Series. 
I think the Mets are in a very good position. And throughout the National League, the only teams they have to worry about is the Braves, Milwaukee, and the Dodgers, and maybe San Diego. Yeah, I was maybe. Say, they got a lot of good pitchers. Maybe San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. I don't think they have to fear St. Louis. They don't have to fear San Francisco, and they don't have to fear Philadelphia. So they're going to make the playoffs. Six teams make the playoffs, guys. We just named Atlanta, Milwaukee, L.A., and San Diego. The Mets would be the fourth seed. They're still going to have a chance to compete in the playoffs. They don't want to play in the playing game. Nobody does because when you play in those playing games, nothing is guaranteed. Ask the Yankees. All they had to do last year was win their last four games. They lost one of them, and they went into a wild card game with the Boston Red Sox in Fenway, and they lost in Fenway. They got killed in Fenway. You do not want to go into that playing game. But again, the Mets have two pitchers, if healthy, can go into those playing games and dominate. Shut down rosters. Jacob deGrom has had two Triple-A starts so far. He's not given up a hit. He struck out, I think, nine batters in two innings. That's how dominant Jacob deGrom is. And when he comes back to the league, he's going to be as dominant. This guy is as unhittable as any pitcher in baseball. And the Mets better be opening up their checkbook next year. Because if he's 100% healthy, he's going to want Max Scherzer money. And maybe the Mets don't pay him. Well, they'd be stupid not to. Because there'll be somebody out there in the league that will pay him. If you're a Mets fan right now, you should be very excited about what your team is doing. Give or take what they have done in the last two weeks. They're not hitting. I think they'll figure things out. As far as the Yankees are concerned, if you look at this team right now, you are a week and a half away from the All-Star break. The Yankees, in the hardest division in baseball, the second place team is 15 and a half games behind the New York Yankees before the All-Star break. What does that tell you about the Yankees? Everything Brian Cashman did in the offseason made sense. They re-signed Aaron Boone, where everybody said get rid of him. Right now, he's manager of the year. Then they offered Aaron Judge $215 million. They should have given him more. Aaron Judge, 30 home runs, batting 287. He's been as dominant of a hitter as any player in baseball. John Carlos Stanton has stayed healthy. Practically the whole season. Something we haven't seen in a while. He's got 21 home runs and 57 RBIs before the All-Star break. Both guys are starters in the All-Star game. You look at this rotation. This rotation is the best rotation in the majors. And I'm not talking about by a couple of points. Even with some of these pitchers like Cortez that have taken a couple of steps back. And Tyone, who didn't pitch well to his last start. And Garrett Cole, who is still, everybody says, he's not the same pitcher with the Yankees. Garrett Cole is 7-2 and two and has a 2.99 ERA, and his whip is almost under 1. He's still one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball. I don't know what anybody calling him Kermit the Frog. What is wrong with you people? And Luis Saverino coming back from those major injuries and playing the way he has, remarkable. They have the best closer in baseball. They have the best bullpen in baseball. They have the best lineup in baseball. They have the best power in baseball. The only thing they don't lead the league in is batting average, which they're in the top 12 in batting average. They bring in a carpenter in free agency who has been the hottest hitter in baseball. By the way, all you Brian Cashman haters, everything Brian Cashman has done in the last two years at the trade deadline and in the offseason has worked. But he's weighed out his welcome. He shouldn't be a GM anymore. I think he's washed up. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Brian Cashman deserves an apology. They have the best home record in baseball. They have one of the best away records in baseball. They have been dominant everywhere they've gone. Do you know that if the Yankees have the lead after the fifth inning, they have lost one 
game. What does that tell you about their bullpen? That tells you their bullpen as as dominant as any bullpen we've seen since the Yankees in 1998. Plus 183 run differential this year. The only team that's close to that right now is the Dodgers, and they're plus 147. They're in second. That is how insane the Yankees have been at home runs. RBIs, on base percentage, and pitching. If you have a stat like that where you've only lost one game leading after five innings, how sustainable is that? I don't know, but that is something that is unheard of and how great of a job Aaron Boone has done at managing those young players and those new players that have come into the team. Get rid of him! He's horrible! He's the worst manager in baseball! Meanwhile, Aaron Boone would be the first manager in baseball history in his first five years to have three 100-win seasons, and he's on his way to another 100-win season. That just tells you how good of a manager he's been with no management experience. By the way, Joe Girardi, which all you Yankee fans did not want to get rid of, is now not the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. And by the way, ever since he was fired... They're one of the best teams in the National League. And they'll still find a way to collapse, but nevertheless. So what does that tell you? That's problem more than anything else. How about Trevino? The second best catcher in the American League. Mm -hmm. He comes on the scrap heat in a little trade with the Texas Rangers. I'm sure Texas is jumping off a cliff right now. He fits the Yankees culture, and he's done nothing but hit and play defense. He's one of the best catchers in baseball right now. Their front office has never been the brightest, the Rangers. So not the first time, certainly won't be the last. But even overcoming all the injuries that they had in their bullpen, they still have enough of it with the veteran depth and now just new guys coming through. Clark Schmitz had a big role on this team. A guy that was supposed to be a starter now is at a big role out of the bullpen. Albert Abreu. How about somebody like Wandy Peralta? A veteran guy that's been a great lefty for them. They just find these guys to make it work. And Aaron Boone deserves a lot of credit for that. The way he's been able to make that bullpen together. He's been criticized in the past for overusing the star pieces of that bullpen. And he's done a great job now doing the new pieces making it work. It's so funny when you look at what Yankee fans have said all over social media about about Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, that these guys should be gone. The Yankees should start over. Then all of a sudden, they're having record-breaking seasons. This bullpen has been record-breaking. This is the best bullpen in the first half the Yankees have ever had. You're talking about the greatest closer of all time. 96, when they had Wetland and Mariano Rivera and Nelson and Stanton in that bullpen. That bullpen is not even close to this bullpen. You're talking about Holmes. Holmes hasn't given up a hit, and he's only walked five guys. The whole season. I'll say it again about Brian Cashman. He finds players. Carpenter found him off the scrap heat. There was a lot of other teams interested in him, but he wanted to be a Yankee. The Yankees signed him. He's been nothing but hot for the Yankees. He's out of baseball for three years, and they rebirthed him. Nine home runs. He's batting over 300, and he plays multiple positions. So everything the Yankees have done this year has hit every single point. And if the Yankees continue doing what they're doing, they could break the win record in Major League history, which is 117. And they're on their way. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crown Show. I'm your host, Aaron Mark. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, can lose no show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. We finally get him back. Chaz is healthy. Thank God he's healthy. His team is back. Him and Hector, happy to have him back as we call this segment Money Line Mania. 
This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chazzy, Chazzy, Chazzy. What is going on, my friend? How are you feeling? Doing good. I just spent a couple nights in the hospital. I want to give a shout out to the Scripps Memorial Hospital in La Jolla because they treated me well. But I was betting in bed. I was laying in bed and betting. And, and, and I hit seven straight Canadian football games. Now, I always give kudos to Wes. Blackhawk West was the one to turn me on. But my easy sports day didn't. I was kicked in gear. I, I think, actually, I have a better record this year in CFL than he does. It's what? not much better, but it's a little better. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know if the nurses came in. I know you guys have never actually sat with me. I think maybe Hector has watching a game. You know, I don't get that emotional. First of all, I don't bet a lot. I bet a lot of money, but I don't bet a lot of money. You know, like some guys are dropping a rack on a, on a first half. I budget for a week. It's usually 100, 200 bucks. If I win, I keep playing. But I was in my hospital bed. And uh, whatever game was on TV, I was betting because I figured, you know what? You, you never know what will be your last bet, do you? Hey, we saw you in the <laughs> summer last year. I don't know if you were betting during that time. but we, we No, were... no, that's true. No, no uh, I don't think I had any action that night. That was uh, a real guy. I got that picture on my phone, too. Boy, <laughs> coming back uh, on that Long Island Sound with the ferry and the sun going down and the clouds and the blues and the yellows and purples. Oh, my God. And that the was drinks so that you found out were too expensive. Yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> when are you coming back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I was ready. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Been working hard at getting everything ready, yeah. so I got like videos made and everything. I just got to put it together. I'm going to assume when the doctor says I can start going back to the gym, that's when I'm going to start, you know, working. <laughs> I have had seven straight uh, winners. Um, my kid hit for like four grand. What he's been doing is he's been doing the money line or the run lines in Major League Baseball. And, you know, there's about five or six teams right now that are just the best teams in baseball, and they're winning every single night by, by one and a half runs. And so he's been cleaning up. So I've, I've, I actually tailed my son. Think about how cool that is if you're a sports better. I'm not handicapping. I'm betting who my son tells me to bet. It's working out real well. I mean, yeah, if you... the Yankees don't win the World Series this year, they should just, like, forfeit the next year, dude. <laughs> it's, well, theirs, it's theirs to lose. No well, I, I will say this, and a lot of people say, well, look at the Yankees' record, but you can never bet on what's going to happen in the playoffs, what pitcher's going to get hot, what lineup's going to get hot. The Yankees could go absolutely cold in the playoffs and can't hit. But right now, they're just on a tear, and nobody's even going to catch up to them right now. This yeah. rotation could break records. This bullpen could break records. And even if they win 117 games this year, they will be the first t- major league team to ever do that. Since the 2001 yeah. Mariners, yep. It's really ridiculous what the Yankees are doing. Right now, their winning percentage is at 725. Have we ever seen that in an all-star break? Never. I've never, never seen that. Never. It, it, it's just Not this far into a season. No, and, and this might be the last year you see Aaron Judge play on this team, so enjoy it while it lasts. Well, he made the right decision, did he not? Yeah. Holy cow. Absolutely did. And we talked about that. You know, we talk a, a lot on this show about the, the Yankees and the Mets, and, and one of the things that I, I laughed at is $21 million and $17 million, right? And mm-hmm. they settled in the middle, and I'm thinking, duh, that was hard to do, but the guy just – took off right after that, right? He had like three walk-offs. I think he's got five walk-offs, walk-offs for the whole season. Just crazy. It really is. It's amazing. It, it really – but you, you have to say something about coaching and managing right now with this team. Aaron Boone has been sensational, done everything right. And and Brian Cashman, say say what you want. He didn't make the big splash in the offseason. 
boy, oh boy, bringing in some of these young guys from their farm system, it's worked. It's absolutely worked. And they made that trade for Holmes at the trade deadline last year, and look, it paid off. But you're absolutely right. As you know, when you get into a seven or five game series, then the other pitcher, the number one guy goes three times. Yeah, playoffs aren't a guarantee, no matter what good your regular season was. Mm-hmm. And that's why that worries me about the Yankees, because as good as the rotation has been, but you don't know what Cortez is going to do in a seven-game series. You don't know what Tayon's going to do. You don't know what some of these pitchers are going to do. And Savarino is, every time we've seen him in the playoffs, he hasn't pitched what we call top-end pitching in the playoffs. So, right. And Garrett Cole, the last year, year and a half with the Yankees, pitching in big Big games has not pitched very very well either. It is funny how many, not just on the mound, though, in the batter's box, too, how many guys just tighten up when it counts, you know? Yeah, well, that's, you know, you have to be a big player in the big part of the game. He wasn't one of those guys, and even some of these relief pitchers, a lot of these relief pitchers over the years, especially the big ones like Trevor Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman was not a good playoff pitcher. Never was. You know, Mariano Rivera was, but... Who was better than Mariano Rivera? I don't think we'll ever see a guy like Mariano Rivera again. So they didn't even. I don't. With his playoffs, I don't think they even needed to use the one, right? No. In front of the point, I think it's, he ended like with point nine or something. It's, it was insane. He's he's ridiculous, and he and remember, in certain he's lost big games for the Yankees in the World Series. Uh, Mariano lost that game against Arizona. If you remember, and so, against Florida, yeah, so. Yeah. and, and oh, yeah, yeah, Florida. yeah, yeah, when they so, won the when they so won it all, yeah. He wasn't a shutdown, shutdown guy, but yes, I mean, if you look at his ERA and WHIP in his time in the play, I mean, it's ridiculous. And what this guy Holmes is doing with the Yankees, he might he might break Mariano Rivera's record in a regular season. It's it's been fantastic to watch, and you have to give a lot of credit to the Yankees scouting and give a lot of Clement a, a lot of credit to. Brian Cashman. Let's start talking some against the spread because I've really missed you guys. And uh, I always like to start with with Hector for a couple reasons. One is he gives us winners. Two is we we talk about him all the time. Even when you're not on Hector, we talk about you because soccer is a three-way betting sport. So you can bet team A, you can bet team B, or you can bet a draw. Where most of the time if I give out a game and it's a draw you get your money back so soccer is a kind of sport where Hector can go two and two and he can win more money than a baseball player to win three and one so talk to us Hector yeah I'm gonna stick with USO championship this time around my team that I follow here San Diego loyal they're coming off a big win against Colorado at Colorado uh, they were down one guy uh, red carded and they managed to win it over there so they're two points away from second place I think they're gonna they've won four of their last five so they're back on the hot streak again, and they're going to play their rivals, LA Galaxy 2, in San Diego tonight, 7 p.m. Pacific time. They've dominated LA Galaxy in the series since they joined the league in 2020. I think they've, I don't think they, they've actually even lost one yet to LA Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken. But it's a rivalry not just because uh, Landon Donovan used to play for LA Galaxy, the MLS team, but because of the connection rivalries in general, LA and San Diego. So I don't see, I think they're going to continue with the hot streak and at uh, Carson. So I'm going to go with San Diego Loyal winning this one, going away 3-1 three to, three to one on, the, on this one. And my second game, I got Orange County, other Southern California team. Orange County, the reigning champions, they've had a horrible season this year. They're like next to last, but they're going to be playing at home against the last place team, Monterey Bay, the expansion team, first year in the league. They were up 2-1 to one in the final few seconds, and they gave up a goal late, the Phoenix Rising. So they were able to snatch a draw from the jaws of victory, if you will. 
I think their pride's going to kick in this time. They're, they know they're the champs. They know they're playing a, a crappy season so far. And they want to be back in the playoffs. They don't want to be the laughing stock of, like, I think it'd be the first time in the history of the USL that a champion didn't make the playoffs the next season. So I like them to win a close one. Monterey Bay is a feisty team. They're an expansion team. They want to show the league that they're a legitimate team to be in the league. So I think, But I think Orange County is going to pull out their uh, experience and win this one in a close one, 1-0 one, one at home. And then my third and final match is a game that everybody in California in general is going to be watching because Sacramento Republic's the only team that's in the USL that's left in the U.S. Open Cup. The Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup uh, in the semifinals, they've beaten an MLS team already. They actually beat LA Galaxy of the MLS at LA. And everybody's on the bandwagon as their the, uh, Cinderella team right now, USL championship team going up against the remaining MLS teams in the U.S. Open Cup. And uh, I think they're going to continue. This game's going to be a league game, obviously, USO game. But uh, I think they got that, that mindset that they want to continue with the hot streak and continue their momentum to push it not just for the rest of the season here, but also for the maybe pull off the upset in the U.S. Open Cup. They're going to be playing Oakland Roots at home. I like Sacramento in this one. I think it'll be a close one, but I think they, they got that that push from everybody. They're, the uh, like I said, the underdogs and everybody in California is rooting for them, even the teams that they play against. So I like Sacramento in this one, 2-1. to one. Hey, on a game like that where they beat uh, somebody in a, a higher division, what were the odds? You remember looking to see what the odds? I know were? LA was favorite. I don't know if they were ridiculously favorite because they didn't have a couple of their starters. I don't know if Chicharito. I think Chicharito came in until final ten minutes or something like that. But yeah, it was like the biggest. Everybody's talking about it on Twitter. Oh, USL team's gonna make. I think there's only been one USL team to make the US Open Cup final, like like the last twenty years or something. So everybody's gonna be uh, rooting for them to make it. So, but in this game against Oakland, I think they got enough to like continue. And win this one. That's the kind of thing when you get an upset like that. It's 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 exciting, especially when you bet it already. You know, because yeah, exactly. So. You're, you're talking, you know, three or four to one. That's like hitting one. That's a one bet, guys. That's like hitting a parlay. One of the things that has been fun with me is the the CFL Canadian football. But the second half of this game, I'm all over the over in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So if, whatever you're doing right now, you know, you're listening to us. So do me a favor, grab your phone. See where the live action is, and no matter what the live action is, put like a half a unit on the over. And also, there's a game going, which is San Diego in San Francisco. I looked at that game, and that's tonight as well, but that has already started, so it's going to be probably about halfway through. It's going to be under early, but the, both of the pitchers, 100 pitchers, the days where pitchers throw 100 pitchers is very, very rare. Both of these guys start, New Darvish and uh, Carlos Rodon, they both throw 100 pitches. So what I'm looking at is when you find that game, it should be about the fifth or sixth inning. It's going to be, should be low scoring, but the under will have dropped from probably seven and a half to six and a half, maybe six, five and a half, somewhere around there. Hop on that over. And those will be a couple second half Chaz plays. And then I want to talk about one game Sunday. That's just what I do this time of year. There are teams that are technically not eliminated, but they're out of it, right? We got Washington. They're 15 games under 500. They're playing Atlanta. They're 15 games over 500. The only problem with these kind of games, and this is the teams we're talking about. We got the Yankees, the Mets. Even though I think I said to you guys a few weeks back that the way Atlanta's playing, they're going to catch up to the Mets, and they're mm. catching up to the Mets quickly. I don't know why uh, anybody thought that they weren't. They're a good team, and they're always a second-half team. They've always been that. 
I mean, even when Chipper Jones was on the team, they were a second-half team. So any Met fan that thought that they weren't going to catch them, just p- keep playing your game. Don't worry about the Braves. Play your game, and you could still win the division. That's great advice. But I think part of the Braves was, you know, they got rid of their best player after winning the World Series. Mm. They didn't get rid of the player. No, no. I, I, the agent I, yeah, was an idiot. I did hear that story, yeah. Also, Jansby Swanson's agent, too. He lost the client, too. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is they were finding themselves. So early, I think they were struggling. Going into Saturday, they won four or five and 8 of 11. Yep. In 7 of the 8, they allowed 3 or less, and in 8 of the 11, they scored 4 plus. So that's one of those teams. So it's the Yankees, it's the Braves, it's the Dodgers, and it's Houston. Those are the four teams that what we're doing is we're taking them on run line, so we're giving a run and a half, and we're using them in round robins. Are you guys all familiar with what a round robin is? No, I'm yeah. not. It's very similar to, you know, you hear it in soccer, right? You have round robins yeah. in Tennis, soccer. Tennis. Right. Yeah. So, so what it is, is you could have, if you have four teams, you could say two, three, or four round robin. I go three, four, which means, so team A and B and C, and team A, B, C, that kind of thing. And then one four-teamer. And when they're on the money line, they're still big favorites at minus, you know, 150 to minus 170. But all those teams right now are minus 320. And you really can't make money doing anything consistently. Soccer is one of the, uh, the rare ones. Soccer, you can make money betting minus three twenty because the teams are dominating and they're winning three to nothing and four to one and things like that. But in baseball, it's really really hard because they in the last inning they're up four to two and they give up a solo shot and you end up losing. But that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot of those round robins. So it's it's four bets. So if you say I want a five dollar round robin, it's twenty dollars. You want a hundred dollar round robin, it's four hundred dollars. But as long as three of the four win, you get your money back. You actually make a couple bucks. So yeah. what I looked at is I looked at these pictures. This is Washington at Atlanta. This is tomorrow. In his last four starts, Espino is pitching for Washington. He's given up 20 hits in 18 innings, seven walks, and he's allowed 12 runs with six homers. And that's in 18 innings. So that's two games. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not very good. But he's pitching – Against Ian Anderson, who's 7-5, and five. he's got an ERA of 5, a whip of 1.5. And again, people don't, don't maybe know what whip is. They heard it, but they didn't really care enough. With sports betting, it's pretty important. It's your walks and your hits per innings pitched. And if you're putting on one-and-a-half peoples, these peoples, so they're on first base and they're halfway to second base, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and his last five starts, he's pitched 21 innings. Do the math, guys. That's not going very far. He's given up 30 hits. He's given up 12 walks, 16 runs with two homers. I'm taking the over. I'm going to bet it for the first half. I'm going to bet it for the game. Now, I will still have my round robin with Atlanta given one and a half, but I'm hoping it's a 10 to 5, 9 to 6 kind of game. That's what I'm looking for and that's Sunday. So those three plays, if you can catch the second half, of the Canadian Football League game, if you can catch the second half of the Padre game tonight, and then tomorrow take Atlanta. If you want to go crazy, go Atlanta, money line in the over. Some places won't let you parlay the run line and the total together. Uh, but I, I'm going to try to find a place I, um, I'm going to take Atlanta. I have a win parlay for everybody on Sunday for baseball. I got the Braves Sunday. I got the Mets winning and beating the Marlins with Walker on the mound, 7-2, 2.86 ERA. He's pitching very, very well. Again, against Alcantara, who's been very, very good really for the Marlins. But I have Walker winning that game for the Mets. I have the Astros beating the Athletics. 
on Sunday, and I have the Yankees beating the Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball. Those are four of the five teams that I mentioned. They're the best teams in baseball, Errol. you got to bet them. But what I do when I when, – and I will bet that. I, I don't know if you guys realize, but everything that comes out of your mouth, I bet. Because I know, Errol, though you're not a better – you're like Mo. Mo's really not that big of a better either, but he's a very, very smart sports guy. So I have I, another. I, I have I, another game too. If you guys, uh, Tampa yeah. knocks off the Reds too. Better recover after yesterday. Yeah. And they had that walk off ball <laughs> yeah. against yeah. them. What I'll do with that is I'll take your four teams, and I'll do two plays. I'll do them just to win. But remember, when you've got the four best teams in baseball, you know a, a ten dollar four teamer normally pays ten to one. You're basically going to get two to one for that bet. But again, I don't, and, and everybody on Sports Betting Weekly, we don't care what the odds are. We're looking at cash tickets. And what I'll do then is I'll make sure that as long as that wins, I'm going to win money. I'll put the difference on that run line parley. But the run line parley with those four teams, that'll pay more like four to one. And if they both hit, yeah, boom, you're you're doing nice. What are you guys' thoughts with this KD thing? Do you see him staying with the Brooklyn Nets, or do you see nah, him? No, I think he's a mercenary from now on, dude. If, I mean, he's been a mercenary for a while. He'll go with the best contract and whoever he can think, win a championship. Well, he's under a contract right now. Wherever he goes, he's going to stick with the contract. But where do you see him going? I mean, you've heard Miami. You've heard the Timberwolves. you heard Golden State. you heard Phoenix. Where does he go? I think it's Phoenix. I think one way or another, they're going to find a way to, to get uh, DeAndre Ayton there. Uh, they will get DeAndre Ayton with Ben Simmons over there. It, it makes sense. And maybe Kyrie stays there because they're not going to be able to move that contract. But I think the, the best value is probably Phoenix. I think he would like to be back in the West again. But how about one guy who was, was really one of the highest rated considered basketball players and then what's happened since then boy his 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 thing got tarnished i mean he got tarnished mm. there's no doubt about it especially uh, golden state coming back did we tell you that blackhawk west picked golden state oh yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please. but you know what so so his reputation is not the same so it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with so he celebrated yeah. he celebrated the golden state win too hard stupid shimmy thing he, west, <laughs> west celebrated the golden state win too hard now now he's trailing to you in the cfl picks <laughs> yeah i know there you go <laughs> it smacks him right I, back I, 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 uh, all these guys you know hector john from gmf sports blackhawk west from 151 sports investing i i I totally respect their opinion. And when they go against me, when they go with me, oh, my God, I feel so good. But when they go against me and we have opposite sides, you know, I'm as hesitant as I could possibly be. And I'm fairly comfortable with my confidence on my picks, you know. I would love to hear Wes's opinion on what the Islanders did trading for uh, Alexander uh, Romanoff. There's no doubt that he could handle an hour on the radio talking hockey with anybody. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Well, he's, he's going to have a little bit of a reaction of his Blackhawks yeah. trading to bring it, too. Well, that's hockey, and that's, that's the way organizations work. They think they know best, and they think they know more. And by the way, I met the, the GM for the Chicago Blackhawks, I think, two or three years ago at the airport when I was going to the draft. Very nice guy, but... You know, he has a big head, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, it, and it's a tough gig. Being a GM is a tough gig. And, and you know, the, the way you gave the Yankees guy a shout-out, you know, the, the bottom line is yeah. it's it's an all or nothing, right? If you don't win, and there's 30 teams in most leagues or more, if you don't win, you're a failure. Yan- Yankee fans are idiots. Anybody that wants to run out arguably the best GM in professional sports – 
Uh, 30 straight winning seasons since he's taken over the, the Yankees. The Yankees haven't had a losing season since 1992. 1992. Wow. It's 2022. Okay? The fact that he has been there and he's been a part of that organization, helped run that organization with even the ups and the downs that they've had, tells you how good of a GM he is. And if he ever got let go or he decided to go elsewhere, there would be 30 other teams, including NBA, NHL teams, that would let him pay, pick take over, even though he doesn't know anything about the sport. Blackhawks future GM, Brian Cashman. <laughs> well, and it's not like, he's not like they just had a winning record. They got hardware to boot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the guy knows what he's doing. I'm so, I, I'm so tired of listening to Yankee fans run guys out. Oh, Aaron Boone has no experience. Blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he's, he's going to be the only manager in baseball history in his first five years to have 100 wins. So, well, I, will, I will tell you, I've watched three. a lot of baseball in the last two, three weeks because I've got money in my account and I'm winning with football, so i got money in my account. If i got money in my account, my world's a little different than if I don't. Because I don't just, you know, I can't, it's illegal still here in California. I just no. can't go to a book and give them 50 bucks and make a bet. i got to go online. i got to deal with it's ridiculous. Or How is it legal yeah. here we'll in New York? We'll see what happens in November. I think in November this thing will pass. So you yeah, never yeah, but there's, there's a couple of them. But, but my point is... Every single Yankee game I watch, it seems like Aaron Judge comes up with the bases loaded every at bat. It's just amazing. Hollywood, uh, how, Hollywood, yeah, if you couldn't write that script, they wouldn't. Nobody in Hollywood would believe it. Maybe he'll start getting They're the Barry Bonds treatment. The Yankees are going to. The Yankees are going to have possibly two guys with fifty or more home runs. Okay, that's how crazy it is. I mean, John Carlos Stanton has twenty-one home runs. It's well, ridiculous. No, Speedy, Speedy's right in the right spot. I could totally see waving my hand <laughs> and putting the run across the board, putting Aaron Judge on first base. If I was up by three, maybe you know, against the Yankees, I could totally see them doing that. Barry Bonds treatment, Aaron Judge. Yep. It's unbelievable. All right, gentlemen, that's all I got. Well, we really appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, always be cash. Money line mania, ladies and gentlemen, as they are at eighty-four and a half percent. Three weeks ago, they have been absolutely on point with their picks. All the Johns and and Hector and Chaz, they've been unbelievable. They're the best handicappers in the country, guys. If you haven't checked out this segment, if you want to make some money, listen to these segments. They're good. When we come back, we'll get into some hockey conversation as the Islanders make a big trade in the first round, trading away pick number 13 for a top defensive player. And the New York Rangers make some moves as well as Gregorgioff is no longer a New York Ranger. And we'll get into some football as Baker Mayfield is playing for a new team. Sammy Baby is going to be looking for a new partner in crime. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. Whoa, whoa. I'm just kidding, guys. Just kidding. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wide Sports Radio Network. Before the draft, the Rangers made a pretty good trade, so the Rangers decide to deal off their second-string goaltender, Gregorgioff, to the Colorado Avalanche. I'm not surprised. We've seen the Islanders make some trades, sending Taves to the Colorado Avalanche, and it was a big move for them. Trade away their second-string goaltender, who I think is going to be good in the league. There were some spots that I saw to believe that he has talent. He's obviously not Shesterkin, but 
He's still a very good goaltender. So he goes to Colorado, the championship, Colorado Avalanche. They get a third and two fits. Ranger fans should be happy that they got something back for him. A lot of people thought they were only going to get one pick for him. Yeah. They got three. So that shows you that Chris Jury might know what he's doing, but he likes to attack his best players in Panarin. There is some stories coming out that the Rangers are very interested in Patrick Kane. I don't know how this makes sense, but no. other teams like the Islanders should be looking at him. Quite a few teams should be looking at him because I still think he's one of the elite players in the NHL at 33 years old. Yeah, there's going to be competition for Patrick King because he still had a very strong scoring year as a whole. 92 and points. It's just the rate for the Rangers right now. They have a lot of money invested into wings already that I don't think it's really worth for them. If the Rangers are going to make a trade. It's going to be probably for a center, a guy that can win faceoffs, and they're going to have to re-sign their own players for it. I'm hoping they keep Cop and Vetrano. Ryan Strom, I'm good with letting him walk, but Cop is a guy that won 54%. In terms of Patrick Kane, yeah, there's definitely a lot of options. The Islanders definitely should pursue that kind of thing. They need a speed winger to go along with Barzal. But you also were mentioning that you think they could even move Barzal to the wing, too, if they trade for a center. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Lou Lamorella has brought that up, that if a player becomes available, if they bring in a center, because they have been talking to the Vancouver Canucks and bringing in JT Miller, who is a center, who also played wing with the Rangers, if they decide to make a move like that, there is stories coming out that they might be thinking to move Barzell to the wing position, which might make Barzell a better player, even though he's one of the better centers in the league, and he's a good face-off guy. It's going to be interesting to see what the Islanders do in the offseason, but the Islanders make a trade speedy. What, yeah. what did you like about that? Trade? Alexander Romanov, a 22-year-old defenseman that is a guy that I think fits well with a physical system. Now, obviously, it's not Barry Trotz's defense, but Lane Lambert's going to get Barry Trotz concepts onto that defense, and 22 years old, he was a former second-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens back in 2018, and a guy that played both first and second pair defense with Montreal with Jeff Petrie and Ben Chirot before he got traded. So a guy that knows how to work well with veteran guys, and you actually brought up something very interesting too. He has some connections with Sorokin as well, which could help chemistry-wise. Yeah, I don't know how much connections he does have with Sorokin, and with this Philip Forsberg thing, it seems like he's off the wish list for the New York Islanders. I've been reading that the Islanders are not interested in making a move for Philip Forsberg. Johnny Goudreau is a guy that they really, really like. If he's still unsigned when the opening of free agency happens, maybe Goudreau could be a guy that the Islanders try to land. He's going to want at least $10 million. Yeah, definitely. After the year he had, you know, top five points, year over 110 points. Absolutely. He's but he's a that. player that you're looking for, and it gives Barzell that other superstar player to play beside him, which mm. he's been really lacking since he's come into the league. It'll be very interesting to see what the Islanders do. Adding Alexander Romanoff, he's a good player. He's a speed skater. He was one of the top hitters in the league, especially for defensemen. He's young, and he still has a lot of up Upside, especially offensively. When he came into the league, they thought he had a tremendous amount of upside offensively. He really hasn't developed an offensive game. We'll see what Lane Lambert does with him. The Islanders had another young defenseman to that young defensive core that they have. They've got to re-sign Dobson this offseason. Alexander Romanoff will probably be partnered up with Dobson. Which complements each other well. Both very young players. Dobson, who's 21. Romanoff, 22. Yep. Two of the best defensemen in the NHL in Pelican and Pulak. Probably the best tandem in the league. You have four guys, quality guys, and you have Ajo and Salo, they can still dangle Mayfield in a trade. Yep. So the Islanders are loaded and they have a couple of really good defensemen in their farm system. And they drafted a couple this year. Picking at 65, one of the more underrated defensemen in this year's draft, Adelius, who's a guy 
that a lot of people liked. He has a tremendous amount of size. He can hit. He needs to put on a little bit more weight, but he's long, long reach. He could be a really, really good young defenseman in the future for the New York Islanders. And the Islanders also at 98 drafted another young defenseman on Isaiah George, who a lot of people thought was a second round talent. He fell all the way to the fourth round, who a lot of people like. He's got speed. He can hit. Another young, talented defenseman for the future for the New York Islanders. When you look at the foundation of what Lane Lambert wants to do, they want to get younger at that position and faster. The Islanders, the one thing they did lack was team speed as a whole. Romanoff is fast. That's exactly why I think they're trying to make that a little different from what Trotz had when he had to deal with more of the veteran defensemen. And I think these young kids are definitely going to help that. As far as the range is concerned, I think you should be happy with the New York Rangers. They're still one of the top three, top four young teams in the NHL. They have one of the best young defensemen in the league in Fox. A very good young goaltender in Shesterkin. The core of players that are coming back next year. Now, Speedy, you look at their draft. What really stood out to you going into this year's draft for the New York Rangers? A lot of forwards that are more physical because they had only a second round pick and then a bunch of later draft picks after that to help out that potential bottom six down the road, which sometimes that can get pricier with veterans too. So they know that their top six, their core is going to be there to stay, whether they get rid of some of the free agents I mentioned before or not, they still want to fill out the rest of their depth. They know depth wins. You saw what Colorado did bringing the depth and the young depth, and they still want to stay fast as well. I think that's what they were prioritizing more from an identity perspective. As far as the rest of the draft, I thought looking at some of the players that were drafted early in the first round, Slavakovsky, a lot of people thought was the best winger in this draft. Nobody thought he was going to go one. Everybody really thought that Shane Wright was the predominant number one draft pick. How he felt to the fourth pick of the draft was very surprising. The Krakens got themselves a great young player, one of the best centers we've seen come out of this year's draft. So there was a lot of things that really happened in this year's draft that didn't make any sense. Logan Cooley going to Arizona over a guy like Shane Wright. Two centers that are both very talented centers. I thought Cooley was a little bit under Wright and how Arizona decided that they, they wanted to pass on Wright. They really like Logan Cooley, who a lot of people compare his skills to Patrick Kane. Cooley, more of an undersized center, but still very skilled. They say he can create on any offensive side of the puck. I know a lot of people were questioning the Montreal pick, but Savlowski's a guy with a six foot four build that is a very good puck handler. That's going to be a, t- a guy that's going to be tough to get off the puck. He's, only, he's 193 pounds already at age 18, so he definitely has a lot of room to grow in muscle, grow in his own body. And he's not like a super physical guy as it is, but who says in that system he can't be? We'll see what Martin's in. This draft made history, by the way. The first two picks in this year's draft were two picks from Slovakia. Oh, wow. A defenseman and offensive player. The the first time it's ever happened Mm -hmm. before. The Devils took the best defenseman in Namek as well at number two, which a lot of people were surprised at, but I think they need more defense than they do offense They said Namek has been playing in the professional men's division since he was 14 years old. Even people criticizing that pick, I don't really get it either. The Devils have a lot of offense. He sure, Jack Hughes, Yaronovich. Their defense outside of Dougie Hamilton is very thin. I know they drafted the kid Smith who played well too, but offensively they got a lot more. I think when you look at these draft picks, you don't know what they're going to be. Nemec was a guy that a lot of people spoke highly of, and some people believe is a number one guy. He's going to be an all-around great player in this league, and he's been playing in the men's division. There was more than enough tape watching him play with men on how talented this kid's going to be. He doesn't fear anything, and that's what you want to find a guy that's not fearful to any position in the playoffs or even when his team is down and out. You know, also had a very good draft. 
The Buffalo Sabres, who a lot of people say players go to die. Well, and we always think they have a good draft on paper, and then something happens. They had a really good draft. I mean, they rated him at an A-. minus. I like the kids Savoy. They also got the top it. goalie prospect in Tobias Linenian. They've needed a goalie ever since they lost Ryan Miller. Anaheim had a pretty good draft as I've, well. I've loved their drafts the last couple of years. I think they were building something nice over there. And the Blackhawks, why they traded Kirby Doc or Alex DeBrincat. But if you look at their draft, especially getting Kevin Kuczynski, I think you understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to rebuild through youth. I think they're going to eventually trade Jonathan Thames. He might be yeah, on his way out. His contract's going to be hard to move. And Patrick Kane is definitely going to be on his way out, either yeah. this offseason or sometime in the trade deadline. Yeah, that's why I was surprised they traded to Brinkett as fast as they did, because I thought he would be the Patrick Kane, not necessarily replacement because he hasn't done it long enough, but he scored 41 goals in two separate seasons already, and then they traded him. They better hope the draft picks that they made are, are going to be worth it. Now, the kid they drafted is supposed to be the best offensive defenseman in this draft, so could it be be worth it, possibly, but it's going to be very tough to replace a guy like Debrinket. And now let's get into a little bit of football conversation. The talk that Baker Mayfield was on his way to Seattle was never going to happen. We found out that he's going somewhere else, and I told you guys where I thought he fit the most, and that was the Carolina Panthers. The only reason why a lot of people were skeptical about this is because Sam was there. Made a trade in the offseason last year to send two and a four to the New York Jets to get Sam Donald. Sam Donald did not have a very good season last year. He lost his job to Cam Newton. And and, P.J. Walker. And P.J. Walker. (laughs) and then came back because of injuries and got booed off the field. And maybe it was because of Christian McCaffrey because the first three games, Sam Donald was playing well. They had a good running game. Christian McCaffrey got hurt and they weren't the same team and they were fighting injury all season. They weren't protecting Sam when he needed protection, a.k.a. the New York Jets. And I don't care what Robbie Anderson says off the field because he, again, takes a shot at the Jets that the Jets ruined Sam. And I would agree that in some points the Jets did ruin Sam Donald. But to sit here and keep pointing fingers at the Jets that they're the main reason why Sam Donald went to the Carolina Panthers. He had a chance to prove himself last year. He didn't prove himself. Now he's going to be fighting for a job for Baker Mayfield, which, by the way, Carolina gave up nothing for. Additional 2044 fifth round pick, which could become a fourth of a guy, Baker Mayfield plays 70% of the A snaps. guy that took the Browns from one play to an AFC title championship. They had a chance to go to the AFC title game against the Buffalo Bills. And who knows, maybe they beat the Buffalo Bills. Maybe. Probably still would have been hard in Buffalo in a third straight time. Nevertheless. Definitely still possible because that team was very talented that year and had a good running game. And Baker Mayfield played efficiently in that game too. Had that one bad pick six in that Chiefs game, but that was really it. And definitely a culture changer. So guy definitely... threw, what was it, two and a half years ago where he had a really good season. 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 3,655 yards. Was good his rookie year. His second year was the bad one when Freddie Kitchens was the head coach. Their offensive line was bad that year too, but still all that talent around him too, so no excuses there. But 2020 was the bounce back year. Made the playoffs. Won the Browns' first playoff game since 1994. And now all of a sudden he's gone. Fans are pushing him out. Yeah. For a team that had a quarterback graveyard that's the same fans that are pushing they him sent out. him away for Deshaun Watson who might not even play a game this year nope what do the Browns do with their backup quarterback position if Deshaun Watson doesn't play at all this year? They don't have Baker anymore. He's over there in Carolina fighting for a job with Sam Donald. Maybe that's to lure Drew Brees out of retirement or something like that. Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> is the only name that really stands out. Yeah, but even he's not guaranteed to be traded either. We have to see. I, I mean, uh, everything that I've read is that they don't want to keep Jimmy G. They want to move on from him. Everything that I've heard that San Francisco wants Trey Lance to start. And I think Jimmy G has proven that he could play in the playoffs. He can be efficient in the playoffs. Has he been a good playoff quarterback? No, no, but he's efficient. And he makes the plays that you need to keep your team in the game if you have a good defensive team. 
And right now, Cleveland is the perfect team for him. I think they have a very good defense, they have a good front seven, and a good secondary. Yeah, they're a very similar identity to San Francisco. Now, San Francisco, I think, has a little more of the star power on offense, but Cleveland has a lot of good depth, and they have a much better offensive line. Not that San Francisco's better running game. Multiple tight ends to make it work, and Jimmy Garoppolo's always used his tight ends, even with the Patriots when he was there for the little bit he played. Something that he'll be used to if that's the move that they want to make, too. And yeah, a guy that's a good culture guy, good leadership guy, and has been a winner. Granted, playing with Bill Belichick helps. And is he Brady. better than Baker Mayfield? I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. He's a guy that definitely is a good locker room guy for a, a Browns team that still has a questionable team culture, even though they have a lot of players. Yeah. Well, it's more than questionable. They're a joke. The Browns need to figure out what they're going to be doing this offseason because if they don't have a starting quarterback, a team that has a lot of talent ready to win now, if they don't find a quarterback, if Deshaun Watson doesn't play 10 or 12 games this year, they're going to be in big trouble in a division that's really talented. Mm-hmm. With the Bengals that are much better than they were last year, went to the Super Bowl. The Baltimore Ravens that are 100% healthy, which they didn't have any running backs last year. They're better this year. And even the Pittsburgh Steelers might have a quarterback now that could actually And a defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, over there now, too. Yeah, so I don't know what the Cleveland Browns are going to do without a quarterback if Deshaun Watson loses his hearing with the NFL. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, Kittle Dust Show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to our friend, Eric Castleton for joining us today. He was fantastic. Chaz is back. Thank God he's healthy and he's back and he's ready to get back to uh, his uh, handicapping and doing what he does best on our network. So thank you, Chaz, for joining us today. And Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start with the NBA. Buy or sell. Kyrie Irving will be traded somewhere else other than the Lakers. Mm, That's a good one. I'm going to say absolutely not. If Kyrie Irving doesn't get traded to the Lakers, I don't see any other team making a trade for him. There is nothing out there. As I think cause he had an opportunity to go out there and look for a team that's interested in trading for him. Nobody was interested in him, so he opted into a contract. I think the only team that would be interested in him is LeBron James because LeBron James knows how to control him. So I am going to sell that. I am going to sell it, too. I originally thought Clippers originally because I thought the Steve Ballmer, the ownership there, would want to give him that kind of money. But they just went for John Wall now. Miami, I think, is looking in other directions. And I think the Lakers are the only ones. I think they're going to have a hard time trading him still as it is because the Lakers are going to have to move Westbrook. But that's the only shot I think that's left for them to be able to move that contract. So I am going to sell it. All right. Buy or sell. Aaron Judge will be re-signed by the New York Yankees. I've been saying this 70-30 that the Yankees will not be able to re-sign him. I, I just I, I just don't see the Yankees giving him that $300 million contract. And I there are quite a few teams that have the money and that are, are under the salary cap that need a superstar to help them build and rebuild their organizations. I think he's going to San Francisco. That's where he's from. That's where he, you know, his... That's his team. That's the team that he rooted for. I am going to sell that, that the Yankees do not re-sign Aaron Judge. Yep, I'm going to sell it too. I think he's definitely going to get 
bigger money elsewhere. I think other teams out there are going to give him that $300 million contract he wants for the seven-year span or a shorter contract of five years with the same annual average annual value. I think he'll get because of his namesake, more money elsewhere. I think the Yankees will probably give him something in the 260, 270 range, but I don't know if that'll be enough for him. I think he'll test free agency. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Islanders will now trade Scott Mayfield, now trading for Romanoff. Absolutely buy it. After bringing Alexander Romanoff in, he's a young guy. Mayfield is definitely not in the plans for the New York Islanders. They've got two good young prospects right now in the AHL that could be called up in the, in the future. So I, I can't see it. And now drafting Calais, I'm going to buy them. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. We're agreeing, agreeing a lot on these today. I think Mayfield, in terms of the money, too, I think that's something they can get an offensive piece somewhere else, too. Not necessarily a big one, but a second, third line piece that could help out to build up that depth, because they definitely need it. Now they have all the speed on defense, too, to make it work. So, I'm agreeing with you again. I'm going to buy it. Alright, buy or sell. Sam Darnold will still be the week one starter for the Panthers over Baker Mayfield. I don't know. I want Sam to be that, but I think Baker's been more efficient, and I think the fact is is that they made that trade because they don't trust Sam Darnold. So Baker's done very, very well with teams like this. You saw what he did with Cleveland. This is kind of the same team. Uh, a good running game. They have one good wide receiver. I think more, if he could stay healthy, could be explosive. And, and obviously, Anderson's still there. So I'm going to say that Baker Mayfield's going to start, so I'm going to sell that. It's our first disagreement. I'm going to buy it. Oh, for, not because of Baker Mayfield. I still think he'll start most of the season. I Just off the injury, too. We don't know what he's going to come back as. Sam Darnold knows that scheme better. I think he'll start initially, and then Baker will take over and then kind of run with it for the rest of the season. Outplay him at that point. So I am not going to disagree with you here. I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. Two out of three of Scherzer, DeGrom, and McGill will not suffer another injury this season. I'm going to sell that. I, I just don't trust that Max Scherzer's lad is 100% healthy. I know it's been five weeks, but lad, lad injuries do not work. As we saw Noah Syndergaard, as, as we've seen Giancarlo Stanton, and even Aaron Judge, and even Aaron Hicks, these lad injuries for baseball players are significant core muscles. I, I think Max Scherzer will be hurt at least again, at least one more time this year. And we don't know what Jacob DeGrom, and I don't trust Jacob DeGrom, so I am going to sell. Only because I think Scherzer, I think he's done well in terms of managing his own injuries, and he doesn't overthrow like we've seen DeGrom do. I think DeGrom, once he does come back, will be able to stay. McGill's the one I'm actually worried about more, because for at least for this season, because he's already been hurt twice, and I think a re-injury is a much more of a possibility with him, so I'll buy that one. All right, last one. Ben Simmons will be bought out or, or traded elsewhere by the Nets in order to trade Kevin Durant. I don't think anybody wants that contract. So I, I can't see them trading him. I think he'll be the only piece there if Katie and Kyrie get traded. I, I just can't see it happening. So I'm going to sell that. I don't think Ben Simmons is going anywhere. Yep, I'm going to sell it too. I think it's just going to be next impossible to move that type of contract right now. He brings a little bit of defense. Fine. He might bring some passing. A lot of defense. Yeah, but again, it's just the drama and just the other flaws in his game are not going to be worth that kind of money for any type of team to make it work. I don't think there's any team right now that's going to be willing to trade that many draft picks for whatever's going to be to take on that contract. And the Nets don't have any other draft picks to give in order to at least make that kind of thing work. And a buyout's going to be very pricey as well. So I'm going to sell it as well. It's going to be next to impossible to net for the Nets to get rid of that drama. Very, very interesting. We had a great show. I want to thank, again, Eric Castletime for joining us. He's a great fan of the show and we're a fan of his one of the best play-by-play broadcasters in the country for the Memphis Grizzlies great stories that he told us just a fantastic personality I also like to thank Chaz and the crew for joining us they were fantastic as always Moneyline Mania is back definitely continue listening to us as we'll be back next week until then this is Errol Marks Speedy Petey saying good night and we'll talk to you then good night everybody